I thought this isn't a part of the sermon, but I, this helps me transition since I'm too emotionally. Uh, I, I could omit this, but it may help me transition. We'll be looking at Isaiah 49, but this is free. Everything after this costs. I love the little line, what my mother taught me. My mother taught me to appreciate a job well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. That's how she taught that. She taught me religion. You better pray that will come out of the carpet. My mother taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. My mother taught me logic because I said so. That's why. My mother taught me foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. My mother taught me irony. Keep crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Any of you here grow up with any of these lines? My mother taught me about the science of osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your supper. She taught me about contortionism. Will you look at the dirt on the back of your neck? Uh, she taught me about weather. It looks as if a tornado swept through your room. Taught me about, uh, let's see. Uh, I love this. My mother taught me about hypocrisy. If I've told you once, I've told you a million times. Don't exaggerate. Well, happy Mother's Day to all you dear women. Uh, I'm amazed at what all is involved, having uh, had a mother, having been a father. And I, did you notice my daughter saying, when I think of God's tenderness, I think of my mother. I leaned over to Sean. What does he think of when she thinks of me? I'll deal with her later. The bad cop. Um, turn to Isaiah 49. I'll omit the first section, verses, beginning verse 1. It's one of the four songs about the servant of the Lord. And the New Testament identifies the servant of the Lord as Messiah. So we understand this to be a reference to him. Israel is returning from exile into Babylon. Uh, Isaiah covers about three different time periods. Now he's writing to people who are coming back from the exile. Uh, they're coming into a city where the walls have been torn down. But in this whole chapter, and even going into chapter 50, God is saying, I'm going to restore you. I'm disciplining you for your rebellion. I've taken you into exile, but I'm returning you. My favor is coming back to you again. And we'll just pick it up in verse 8. And I'll stop with uh, verse, uh, I'll just stop with 17. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And, then, and in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land. This is the theme of the chapter. God's going to restore them. And to reassign its desolate inheritances. To say to the captives, come out and to those in darkness, be free. 
They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan down in southern Egypt. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, which speaks of Israel, Zion was a hill where the temple was in Jerusalem, but it oftentimes spoke for the entire nation. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. In the chapter, even verse 6, he says, I'm going to restore you as a nation. I'm even going to, Messiah is going to bring light in verse 6. He's going to be a light to the Gentiles, and he's going to bring his salvation to the end of the earth. So he says, you've been disciplined. I'm bringing you back. Salvation will be immediately because I'm going to help you in the land. And eventually Messiah is going to come. It's going to even spread to all the ends of the earth. And so he gives these great promises to them. Uh, I want to focus really on verses, uh, oh, I want to take verses 14 through 16. Uh, we will resume 1 Corinthians next week. By the way, on the web, we had four pages of uh, questions that you asked, and uh, we put them all on the web, and the answers are there, so go up to valleybible.org, and you can see every question that was asked last week that we couldn't get to. And we'll pick up that format next week as we deal with how to go to court and how to judge one another biblically. And so you want to become a judge? Come back next week, and we're going to teach you how to hold court. And we'll have a Q&A, and you can drill us over that. I've gone to that format because I think we're answering questions nobody's asking. And uh, I think that uh, the Bible has to be taught before it can be preached. And in the ignorance that I'm dealing with today in the pew, people don't know anything hardly about what the Bible teaches. So I want to take a teaching format on the harder subjects so that you can ask your questions and we can interact. And uh, when it comes to the cross, uh, I'll preach until I'm going to fall over and faint. When it comes to subjects like discipline and other things that you don't understand, let's have the dialogue. Is that okay? And uh, so we'll probably teach 35, 40 minutes, take a break, have 20 minutes of Q&A, and uh, invite any of your skeptical friends uh, at this time. This would be a great time. Uh, let them ask their questions, uh, providing that you screen them. Okay. Uh, what, what is going on here? 
in the midst of returning, in the midst of uh, exile and coming back to the land, and in the midst of this prophecy, something amazing happens. Here God is telling the prophet, tell him I'm going to restore. Tell him it's going to go beyond the boundaries of Israel. Uh, it's going to include the nations of the earth. It's going to go even to the Gentiles. And in the midst of this great prophesying, in the midst of it, God allows himself to be interrupted. And the interruption is he sees his people and they're saying, I don't get it. I don't buy it. You have forgotten us and you have forsaken us. And they're saying that in the midst of promise after promise after promise. Um, it's amazing how many believers battle with depression. How many believers have to deal with uh, doubt, disappointment. And I don't know about you. Have you ever had a, a, a blue Monday and be in a funk and be down and all the time uh, quoting promises. All things working together for good. How do you feel? I feel God's not for me. I, I don't feel good. Well, well, all things are working for you. That sounds good. Tell it to somebody else. Let me be in a down. One of the hardest things to do is to get the Bible in us for Blue Mondays. Uh, it's why depressed people can't read devotional literature. They try it, but they want a quick fix. But depress depression uh, makes you void of good feelings. You're negative. They're, you're down. And uh, John White wrote a book on the mask of melancholy. Uh, he's a physician, and he's undertaking to understand depression and its dynamics. And he tells how he went into a mode of being depressed and in a real down, even as a physician. And he said he had to do a detailed study of the prophecy of Hosea. He outlined it. He took notes. And he did a deep study because he found out surface reading of the Bible cannot get you through storms. You have to have deep-rooted understanding of the promises and not just trite cliches. God will make a way for you. That's wonderful. He will. You have anything you can anchor that to? Is there anything that you're clinging to? I had Robert, Rich Robert Richardson 20 years ago when he came by. I was in a terrible down and one day he was talking to me, and all he could say to me is, Pastor, when you're at the end of your rope, tie a knot and hold on. Well, it, it, it kind of helped. I wish I could have had a better verse. I don't know about you, but it's pretty common among God's people, right in the midst of all of his promises, for us to say, you have forsaken me. Where are you? The checkbook is overdrawn, the kids are sick, the wife is grumpy, and I'm out of work. Where are you? Imagine coming up to Job and say, count it all joy when you bury ten children. 
in one day. By the way, Joe, you need a positive thinking class. Just think of being positive. Just kind of whip it up. He said, where is some sackcloth? Get me by the time God strikes him with boils or lets the devil do it, and he's scraping them. His friends had nothing to give him, but you've got it coming because God can't be this bad to his own. And here's Israel chasing for her sin, and she's saying what many a believer has said in the midst of life. Where are you, Lord? Where are you? Um, have you forgotten me? It's my folks in El Dorado, Kansas. My oldest brother was killed in front of my mother at age four. She watched it. She at the curb and a truck ran over him. Front tires went across his feet, threw him forward, so the back tires ran over his chest. So my dad's namesake was killed in front of my mother. They have another child. Then she has a baby. And a drunk doctor comes from a poker game and kills my brother with the forceps. Makes his brain hemorrhage. My mother has a nervous breakdown, having lost two boys, and she's only 22. Living on bread and salt in a depression... And it gets cold in Kansas. Californias are Twinkies. You don't know what cold is. You got to go back to the Midwest. But in the midst of that, my mother one day was invited by two Assembly of God women that heard her in a room when they walked by her, their apartment and could hear this woman screaming and going through a nervous breakdown. And after she calmed down, they finally got her to come to a a ladies' Bible study while they were blowing their, their uh, wash in big tubs. My mother says she knelt next to a sawhorse as a broken little mother, and that's where she found God, where she felt forsaken, where she felt forgotten. And here Israel is saying, God, you don't care. You've forgotten me. You don't even know my address. You've given up on your promises. All these promises don't mean anything when you're in Babylon, when you've seen the walls of the city devastated by pagans. Where are you when I'm hurting? And God interrupts the prophecy of all these promises. He said, you know what? I know what you're thinking. I know everything. And he interrupts himself. The Lord comforts his people I'll have compassion on you. And he said, oh, oh, by the way, I know what you're saying. You say I've forsaken you. You're saying I've done just the opposite of what I told you. I said I'm comforting you, and you're telling me in your heart. You probably didn't say it, but in your heart you said, don't believe it. Children, don't believe it. God has forsaken us. Probably as many Jewish atheists were born out of World War II and the Holocaust as ever. Our God forsook us in Germany. There cannot be a God of Abraham. If there is, I don't want him. More atheists per capita in Israel than any other country. Because God forsook us. Now listen to what God's reply is. God says, Can a mother 
forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she had born. What a picture. Can she forget? Uh, if that's possible, uh, then I, I've forgotten you. There's something interesting about this matter of nursing a baby. Uh, Carolyn tried that, and her milk just didn't satisfy, so we had to switch. But I watched my daughter's uh, nurse. I watched my granddaughter nurse. There's something about it that enables this whole lactation process uh, yells to a mother, you can't forget that child. Let me give you just three, uh, three reasons. First of all, physically, they cannot forget. Lactation will make a woman miserable if she does not get rid of that milk. Her body screams physically, I have to get rid of this milk. For the more the baby nurses, the more milk comes in. God just commands that supply there. The baby wants it. And so back and forth. And so physically, the discomfort and even the infection that could ensue, she must. She can't forget just physically. Impossible. That's why I always wanted my wife to nurse. I wouldn't have to get up in the night. <laughs> and then, then we went to a bottle that ruined that. So I had to be fatherly. Uh, but I love it that the women were made to nurse the child. And all the men said, amen. <laughs> but there's something else. I, I don't have the word just right. I won't get the medical term. But as I've uh, heard uh, lectures and uh, studied on this, there's something that is released in the woman's body in this matter of nursing that brings an emotional sense of well-being. It's a... Uh, uh, it's almost like a tranquilizer, uh, like a peace. Uh, and if you've ever seen a mother nursing, wait till it's one of your daughters or something. There is nothing quite as beautiful, as tranquil, uh, and, and just indescribable as the emotional bond seen in this give and take relationship. Uh, so emotionally, uh, the, the mother is enabled by God made her to uh, be able to find a satisfaction in this process that's indescribable. And then, of course, uh, the unconditional bond that forms. Uh, it's the remarkable thing. You see, uh, the reason as men why it takes so long to get close to a child, we didn't carry the baby nine months. We didn't feel the baby kicking and moving. Uh, she's already got a head start. She's had nine months of biological, physiological changes going on in her body. She's already said, there's life in there. Something's going on in there. Uh, the man's outside. He's over here. And he said, oh, I'm, I'll, I'll get to liking them when they can shoot a gun. I'll, I'll like them when they play football. Hey, buddy, what about when they need their diaper change, which he's your son at this time. I'll pick him up later. No, she's got a bond. And in this nursing, and, and there's something in this nursing that is amazing. 
It's a total, unconditional, one-way love. The child does nothing for the mother. All the child is is a taker. Me hungry. Uh, Me want mama. And when do you want her? Uh, You wouldn't wake her up at 2 in the morning, would you? Because you know mom needs her rest. I want her when I want her. Anytime I want her, I want her. And I'm going to yell to high heavens until I get her. Because adults only exist to meet my needs. Children are selfish to the core. They have no mercy on the mother. Sleep deprivation. Women learn to walk in their sleep uh, because they're nursing a baby. And here God uses this. Israel. I'm like a nursing mother. That's the way I feel about you. I'm supplying all that you need. You're a taker. You've never given me anything. You, you know what? All of you saints right here, you're total liabilities to God on one hand. All you want is one, 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 one give me, give me, give me. Oh, boom. And God said, I knew if I got involved with you, it'd be a one-way relationship. The greatest thing that ever happens in a Christian's maturity is when they seek to give pleasure to the one who's found pleasure in them. When you finally want to quit taking from him and you want to start giving your life to him. That is the epitome of the Christian life. I want to quit just taking, Lord. Now, even when you give back, you can't give back what he hasn't already given you, but at least in your heart, give it back. And God is saying to Israel, wait, you're complaining? Your sins took you into exile. Your rebel- you went away from me. I didn't go away from you. You forsook me. I didn't forsake you. And if you're in doubt, don't you think I could be as good to you as a nursing mother? But he says a shocker. And the shocker is he answers the question, can a nursing mother forget the child at her breast? And he gives the answer, she may. How is that possible? Well, if you ever read Deuteronomy 28 and 29, he said that when Israel went away from God and their cities were under siege, that delicate women is the old King James. It really means compassionate women would turn to cannibalism and eat their own children. And when you read Lamentations chapter 2 and chapter 4, delicate women ate their own children under the siege by the Babylonians. You see, uh, a nursing mother can't abandon her child. She can be a bad mom. She may just abandon the child altogether, put the child on a doorstep somewhere. Or or the mother uh, could be senile, uh, suffer some kind of mental uh, problem that they don't do normal motherly duties. And you know what? Ultimately, everybody loses their mother ultimately. They can't always be there. You're going to bury your mother. I did in 89. See, Rich Rollins asked me, said, uh, could I be gone this weekend, Pastor? I said, "Uh, what is it? He said, I'd like to see my mom. I said, in 20 years, when when have I ever denied you going to see your dear mother? 
who is 92 now and still beautiful. I wish I had a mother to go see. But he's really saying, uh, my love for you will not be like a woman. It's greater. I've taken you on as my own responsibility. I dote over you. And what, if you see the picture, if you've ever seen a nursing mother, they're looking at that child like there's no other child in the world. They know they hold at their bosom a genius. uh, And that's her privilege. That's the nature of it. That's a normal, natural affection. And God says, Israel, if you don't know how else to think of me, think of I'm nursing you. I'm taking care of you. Now, something's interesting. It's one thing for God to say he loves you. That's words. That's nice. I love you. I love you like a nursing mother. And by the way, you ought to think. It's a metaphor, and you ought to be thinking of all the similes, well, all the pictures, and you women could really come up with them, all of the dynamic that's going on between you when you were nursing your children, what all that bond, all that affection. This is what God is trying to convey to Israel. Hey, give me the credit of being a nursing mother, and even a mother may abandon you, but I could never do that. And then he moves on to saying something else that is astounding, really. I want to be sure I get the Hebrew uh, definition here. He goes on to say, You see, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. And no doubt he's talking about the walls of Jerusalem. I would take this for us. Uh, Your life is ever before me. But he says something astounding here. This word for engraved, some have translated it tattooed. Not so. Uh Uh-uh. No, no. He's not talking about a tattoo. They did tattoo. Israel was never allowed to tattoo their bodies. But sometimes slaves would be tattooed, and they would uh, tattoo the name of the master on the slave so the slave was identified as their property, who the master was. That happened at times in many cultures at this time. But the word here engraved, let me give you a a Hebrew lexicon, uh, Brown, Driver, and Briggs. This is what it means. Here's the word. This word engraved means to cut in inscribe, decree. It was used of chiseling the law in stone. You took a hammer and a chisel and you chiseled out the rock to put your words in. And God says, Israel, I've chiseled out my very hand. And I've inscribed your name so that I cannot look at my hands without seeing your name. Wow. More than ink, I'm using a word that means to cut violently into stone. And I'm reminded of a man in the Gospels who said, I don't believe he rose again. I don't believe it really happened. 
I cannot believe it. I didn't see it. I wasn't there. I don't buy it. And guess what? Instead of writing him off, Jesus looks him up. And he's in an upper room there. And who shows up but doubting Thomas? And Jesus looks him up and he said, Thomas, I'd like for you to examine my hands. Examine my hands. Touch, touch my hands. See where I've inscribed my love for my people. You see, grace is free to you. It cost him his life. Nothing was free to God. And Thomas says, no, no, Lord, just to look at you, Lord, is enough. He said, it's not enough for you to look. I want you to feel. You see, the greatest proofs of God's love is not bailing you out of your present circumstance. It's going back to the cross where he allowed his hands to be pierced for you and where, in essence, your name's been inscribed in him forever. Matter of fact, Zechariah 12 says, when Christ comes back again to Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant in the city look up as they see him coming from the uh, third heaven with the armies of heaven with him, they will look up and they will recognize him by his hands for they will see the hands that were pierced for them. And they begin to wail and weep as a mother who has lost her firstborn child. God doesn't just love you in word. He's got a member of the Godhead sitting at his right hand that has inscribed his hands with the names of his children. That's how much he loves us. That's how far he would go. I love the fact he said in John 10, uh, you're dumb sheep in this world. You don't have a fighting chance to make it. You're like sheep among wolves. There's a bunch of hirelings that will abandon you. They only work for wages, but I'm the good shepherd. And then he kind of comes to the end there. He says, by the way, my sheep I hold in my hand and I put them in my father's hand and no created thing can pluck them out. Abandon you? I will not, I will not forsake you. If you knew any Greek, it's ume, ume, me. Double negative, double negative, negative. We do it in how firm a foundation, but it's Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. And in the Greek, it said, I will ume, I will ume, may. I will never, no, never, never forsake you or leave you in the lurch. I cannot. I've inscribed you. I've engraved you in the palm of my hand. And the grip that keeps you is my grip. It's not your grip. Your grip is faint. Your grip is faint. And when your spirit is fainting, you are revived to know that underneath are the everlasting arms, the one that will keep you. I think of um, the unconditional love of a mother. If you're in an African-American church today, uh, especially for Mother's Day, if you're African-American, you grew up with surly seizures, no charge. You white folks never heard it. I think some country folks did a uh, recording of it. 
Listen to the words. My sister's little boy came into the kitchen one evening while she was fixing supper, and he handed her a piece of paper he'd been writing on. And after wiping her hands on an apron, she took it in her hand, and she read it, and this is what it said. For mowing the yard, $5. And for making up my own bed this week, $1. For going to the store, 50 cents. And playing with little brother while you were shopping, 25 cents. For taking out the trash, $1. And for getting a good report card, $5. And for raking the yard, $2. Total owed. Well, she looked at him, standing there and expecting, and a thousand memories flashed through her mind. So she picked up the pen and turned the paper over, and this is what she wrote. For the nine months, and I can hear her singing it, because I got it. For the nine months I carried you, Growing inside me, no charge. For the nights I sat up with you, doctored you, prayed for you, no charge. For the time and the tears, the cost through the years, there's no charge. When you add it all up, the cost of my love is no charge. For the nights filled with dread and the worries ahead, no charge. For advice and the knowledge and the cost of your college, no charge. For the toys, food, and clothes, and for wiping your nose, there's no charge, son. When you add it all up, the full cost of my love is no charge. Well, you know, when I think about that, I think about the day that Jesus went out and gave his life as a ransom for me. When I think on the words, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. I like to think about the very minute that he shed his blood. My debt was paid in full. And I want you to know today, when you add it all up, the full cost of real love is no charge. No charge. No charge. You see, we are all like children. We are... uh, We're brats at times. When we don't get our way, when we get a no, and when life isn't going the way we think it ought to go, we're like that spoiled kid that storms off to his bedroom, slams the door and says, you don't love me, you don't love me. And you want to say, oh, you're closer to heaven than you ever dreamed. (laughs) Get in here, you brat. Just because I said, no, you can't go there or, No, you can't have that. And now all of a sudden, you're writing off my love, and you're thinking, if you only knew what we've gone through to get you here. If you only knew the nights we stayed up and the fever wouldn't break. If you knew how many nights we stayed at the door hoping you'd return safe from the trip. You, you have no idea of the sacrifices we made, but when you don't get your way, you've forgotten me, you don't love me, it's not going the way I want, and oh, just say, I've inscribed you, I love you more than a nursing mother that could never abandon you. So if the will of God, if things are not going just the way you want, 
Couldn't you trust somebody who inscribed you in their palms? You know, I, I had a mother, uh, a little short, heavy Irishman. And she died in February of 89, and Mother's Day came around May 14th that year. My sister Hazel recorded this, I said, in a sermon. And so this is what I said about her. We'll add a little Mother's Day flavor. I don't do this much, but I, when I thought about her, because she'd only been gone three months, I put, I remember her favor, not her figure. And she was a short, heavy gal that moved the furniture twice a week. Uh, we all would wind up going in the closet through the bathroom practically because she rearranged everything so much. We didn't know where we were. That's how she stayed in shape. I remember her love, not her failures. When I was a teenager, I just saw her failures. When I got saved and grew up, I wonder how she ever made it through. I remember her loyalty, not her royalty. She's just a country girl. Plain, Missouri-born, Joppa, Missouri girl. Nothing fancy. I remember her, not her gifts, not what she did for me, just her. I remember her priorities, not her achievements. Hadn't graduated from high school, college. She loved God, husband, and fight you over her kids. I remember her tone of voice not the pearls of great, great wisdom. By the time she called me the third time to dinner, it sounded like Utah Carl was making a recording. You had better come. I remember what made her cry. A poor man's riches are his children. And I'd say to all you adults that still got a mother and a father, surely you will make contact today, won't you? I'd do anything if I could talk with my mother again. I got to wait for heaven, and that'd be good. I used to tell her if I had the chance and she was here, I would do this. I'd love her while I can. I'd touch her more and assure her that she's okay. I would for sure tell her it is wrong for her to spend her limited income on the grandchildren when I'm the baby of seven. The money should go on me. And I would constantly remind her of what my aunt named me, and that was Precious. We have Precious Perry, and my aunt named me Precious. And my brother David and others, to be insincere, call me that, but they do not mean it. So I think something so great, if you had a wonderful mother, you were blessed, blessed. But I must say this. If you've been a motherless child, Psalms 2710, my mother, my father may forsake me, but the Lord took me in. So there's something in God that's perfect, and he's never going to give up on you. He's not abandoned you. He's inscribed you in his hand. He cannot forget you. Our Father, we thank you for your love. Not just words, 
but Calvary. We've been nothing but takers, Lord. You're the giver. Uh, we're the liability. You're the lover. Your love is unconditional. Sometimes we gripe. Sometimes we get discouraged and we start telling you, where are you? You're not fast enough, good enough. I want it now. And you're so patient. And you you interrupt yourself to say, wait, wait. I feel towards you like a mother does her child. A nursing mother. I feel towards you like one who would engrave in their hand the name of the one they love so they could never forget. So I will never forget you. I will never forsake you. How great to know you're our God. And if there's anyone here today that has never come into the grip of your love, in the grip of your love, they've been hurt, they've been unloved, they may have been rejected. Who knows what all their past has been about. I pray, oh, let them run, run to you by faith and say, in Jesus, you love me forever and I'm in your grip. That's the only thing that I know for sure. I'm in your nail-pierced hands forever. Thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Call your mother.